Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kenny Conversation, brought to you by JEGS, the leader in high-performance aftermarket car parts. And remember to go to JEGS.com for everything and anything you need for your vehicles. Well, it's another big day because we are going dirt racing. And as you all know, dirt racing is in my blood. I've been doing it for a long time now. And we have a dear friend of mine on, one of the hottest dirt racers in the world right now, Jonathan Davenport. Jonathan, welcome to Kenny Conversation. Thanks for having me on, definitely. Yeah, well, hey, listen, let's loosen up, my friend, and I'm going to introduce you to this asphalt crowd, and we're hoping that all, all our dirt friends were, will come in and listen to this conversation. But let me, let me say this. Uh, you're so interesting from my viewpoint because uh, your name is Jonathan Davenport, but I guess it's a long name because people love to call you JD. I guess if they call you JD, that means they're tight with you, but yet you're Superman. What, what do you think of having three names? How, do you answer to anyone? I'll answer it about all of them. I guess people call me JD or just lazy. They don't want to call me Jonathan. <laughs> I don't like John. I don't like Johnny. I don't like none of that. So when people people call me that, I usually have to correct them. But I, I can stand the I can stand JD. Where did that uh when did Superman, when did that name start? Can you remember one moment in time? When did Superman start? I don't remember exactly. Uh my my graphics uh guy back in the day, Helton Graphics, he used to have like a Superman emblem in his graphics. Uh, logo. So it was on my car. And I remember back at my home track at Tri-County in Brasstown, North Carolina, they had a, they had a race there. And uh, if you started on the front row, uh, they would give you an option for $10,000 bonus to start in the rear if you won the race. So we did that one night and come up through the field and got the second, had a flat, come back up, and got spun out running like fourth and come all the way back up and was passing for the lead. And uh, me and the leader hit, and it broke the suspension part. So I think that's about the time that it started, but I'm not really sure. So you said Tri-County. Is that the asphalt track? No, no, that, that's the dirt track in, in Brasstown, North Carolina. It's called Tri-County Racetrack instead of yeah. Tri-County Speedway. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. We, we got a lot of racetracks throughout America, you know, like Tri-City Speedway here in Granite City. Then there's other Tri-Cities, Tri-Counties. Well, I want to go forward just for a minute, and then I want to back up. Uh, so you are, in my opinion, uh, the hottest thing in dirt racing. Over the last five years or so, you've won more big races than anybody. Brett, Brandon Overton started to, started to challenge you there at, at, at Eldora, but then you peeled out on him. I guess his chassis must have flexed a little bit, and he lost that car, but we know – we know Brandon's good at Eldora, but man, you have just, you have just killed everybody at the big money races. So you're 39 years old and last year you won $2 million. Uh, Tony Stewart and everybody at Eldora had that, the million they called it. And you won the damn race. You won a million dollars in one race. Um, you've done it all. As as you look back over this last year and a quarter, uh, when you drive around in your truck or your car by yourself, wh what are you thinking when you just by yourself or after what's been going on? I just uh, really can't believe what all uh, me and my team has accomplished in the last. <laughs> me too. It's I awesome. Mean, it's <laughs> it's crazy just to think about and just to. Uh, do it over and over again, week in and week out. You know, we, we really concentrate on the big races. Um, anytime we're, I want to say not a smaller race, but, uh, you know, we, we can race for 10, 15,000 every weekend, but we're constantly trying new things, testing for, you know, this uh, June through uh, late August run up to September when all the big money races show up. Like we, we've got a stint where almost every weekend we're running for, almost $50,000. So we, we really concentrated on these three months and, you know, it was, uh, it was mid to late April last year before we won our first race. Um, but we was just 
constantly testing things and just trying to trying to figure out what we needed to do for later in the year. So it, it normally takes us a little while to get warmed up, but uh, once we get rolling, you know, we uh, we generally keep it going. But just riding around in the truck, just um, I, I feel like I've came a long ways as a person and uh, just what I've done in my career. So it's uh, it's definitely cool to uh, see what I've accomplished to when I really started dirt racing uh, back from myself. Um, I had to do it on my own. I went and met some people and slept on their couch and I've, I've moved 15 different times, wherever, wherever my race car was, I would normally move there and uh, work on it all the time. And didn't matter what town or what state it was in. And uh, now I've established myself enough that um, I can, um, I, I've got one of the best crews now, so I don't have to be there uh, day in, day out working, working on my stuff and I can enjoy life just a little bit now. And you are enjoying life. We we see your ranch down there, and of course you got a bull named Eldora, I believe. But hey, look, I like something that you talked about there. You talked about running big money races. Now we know all we know the dirt racing world. Uh, a lot a lot of people were shocked that a handful of great dirt racers like yourself said, "Hey, listen, we're going to get off the grind. You know, we're going to get off this five ten thousand dollar deal." We're not going to follow Lucas Oil. We're not going to follow World of Outlaws. We're going for the big money races. And I remember when you kind of let your fans know that you were going to do that. Uh, Lance Landers is your car owner. Uh, Mark Martin and him are dear friends out of Batesville, Arkansas. What made you all? First of all, I think it's a wonderful decision. It's better than being a vagabond during the middle of the summer and just banging your head against the wall what what was that decision like when you guys said hey look we're gonna quit running 100 races a year we're gonna we're gonna run the big races how, how did that conversation come about and the decision uh well it was just the way the schedule was laid out last year uh there was a whole lot more big races than they than they had been um every year seems like they get more and more uh, just the schedule was laid out a little different. I felt like we, how it was laid out last year, we was going to beat our stuff into the ground before we ever got to the big races. And during the week, when you when you follow a series, like you have to go somewhere, no matter, um, you know, what the weather conditions are or whatever. So it's, uh, it's places you have to go when you run a series that you may not want to go or you know you're liable to get your stuff tore up or, you know, and, and not running a series, you can save certain cars for, certain races but when you run a series i mean you're gone for a month month and a half two months at a time so you gotta you gotta take your best equipment with you all the time because you never know what's going to happen but you know we decided to do that last year and it really worked out for us but all the series really stepped up in 2023 and paying more show up money and having more big events and uh their points fund is just astronomical it's awesome what they've done for the racers so uh, we jumped back on board this year and run for the Lucas Oil Series Championship. And uh, a big part of that was they're having the Dirt Track World Championship, which is their last race oh. at Eldora. And it's a chase format, kind of like uh, NASCAR Series is doing now. So we uh, we knock out the top 16, then top eight, then top four. So once we get to Eldora, as long as we're uh, uh, in the top four in points, um, everything's a scratch. And uh, – it's whoever finishes uh, ahead of the rest of them. So I follow you on social media, and I don't know if it was on Snapchat, but you had a car in your race shop, and there was a little bit of dust on it, and you put your finger and you said, it's about ready to bring this baby back out. So do you have that one car that flexes right, does everything you want for Eldora? Is that the car? It is, yeah. Uh, we built that car brand new. Uh, in, the, in about the start of 2021, and I went and I ran it at Magnolia and won both races there with it. Um, and then I went to another place in Iowa at 300 Raceway, another kind of circle racetrack where you have to steer really momentum. well. And we won that. Yeah, big momentum track. I'm like, that's my car. I want to take Eldora. So we took it to both the Dreams uh, in 21, both the Worlds. Ever since 21, I've ran that car at Eldora, and uh, it's been really well. You know, we've we won two worlds with it, a dream and a million with it so far and, and been in contention in about all the other ones. So 
that's uh, it's got the same motor in it. We normally uh, put new parts on it every time we go, but that's uh, that, that's my baby. That, that's Eldora. It sits in the shop until either June or September rolls around. Jonathan, we're gonna we're gonna do you a favor right here. Jonathan Davenport since 2015 at Eldora. 2015, you swept it all. You won the dream. You won the World 100. 2017, you won the World 100. 2019, you won the World 100. Then the virus came in, and 2020, you won the Intercontinental Classic. 2021, you win the World 100. Then the Mac Daddy. 2022, you won the Eldora Million, 1 million. 2022, you won the World 100, and you just won the dream. My friend, that I would save a car for Eldora too, but I think it's a fair assessment. You know, when you look at racers, there's a timing and circumstances. Bill Elliott always said that. He'd say, Herman, life's all about timing and circumstances. And, you know, if you win the Daytona 500, it makes your year, makes your career. Is, Is it a fair statement? Now, Jonathan, we know you're good everywhere. I'm not trying to back you in a corner right now. We know you're good everywhere and you win everywhere. But is it a fair assessment to say that Eldora has solidified major career, financially, everything? Absolutely, 100%. Um, it's a place that I like and I understand, and I focus all year on Eldora, really. Uh, Very cool. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm always thinking about if I make this change or this change or Whatever it feels like, I'm like, oh, I could use that Eldora or, you know, uh, <laughs> I love that. Or what engine I want to take or what yeah. kind of uh, a restrictor plate package or, or whatever I do. Mm-hmm. I've always got Eldora back in my mind because in my eyes, it just it just means more there. Ever. Uh, it does. We get the most fans there, you it know, does. TV coverage. So, um, you know, that there's a lot of other great racetracks out there. But I know if you're at Eldora and you've got the best car no matter where you're going to start, you're going to finish up front un- unless something happens. My brother Rusty taught me a lot. And uh, every time everybody would go to Bristol for the cup race, they'd take their junkies cars because they said, oh, we're going to wreck. Rusty says, no, I'm taking my very best car to, to Bristol because I'm going to kick their ass. And I know I'm good there. I can win. So I agree with, you know, the way you look at Eldora, you're, you're good there. And, Take your baby. And, and Earnhardt would say, I remember Dale Sr. He, that's right. That's, that's <laughs> right, baby. <laughs> hey, listen, we all learn from our heroes. And Dale Sr. kept starting in the back of the pack at the Bud Shootout one year. And I, you know, friends with Sr. And I said, man, you kicked her butt. And Sr. looked at me and told me something I'll never forget. He goes, Herman, you ride a horse until it breaks its foot. And he said, that car hauled ass. And so you're doing it right, Jonathan. I agree with what you're doing. You put it all in there and that's your wheelhouse, even though you win everywhere. Um, All right. So let's on Kenny conversation, we're going to throw an audible and you, you interrupt me because you know, the Herminator shared my notes with you. (laughs) Is it, am I reading this right? Are you an asphalt racer first? Uh, well, I was a, a, a dirt racer as far as go-karts, but then soon, soon as I got old enough, uh, I, I drove the first couple cars when I was 10, 11, 12, and then I, I went to asphalt, uh, in legend cars, and ran them for several years and then ran asphalt late models until my dad's pocketbook pretty much ran out, and then uh, we had to come back home and start back dirt racing. Yeah, so your dad is, is JL. Yeah. Um, you know, I always say everybody needs somebody, and uh, you can't stand on a mountain by yourself. So after I checked you out, you ran the 2004 NASCAR Bush East. You ran ARCA in 2006. Is this right? I, I never ran an ARCA race. No, I ran uh, I ran some uh, ASL, uh, which was the year that it switched from ASA, and we ran a half a year, and I think the – promoter or something happened to him i believe right after he bought it from steve dale and we ran a half a year and that the series went under darn it i i wished well i'm, I'm glad you're where you're at in life right now but asa was definitely the most 
it was the everything. And that's where, you know, the best came from Rusty, Mark Martin, Dick Trickle, Alan Quickie. But so that, that's pretty cool. Um, so about what age did you quit asphalt racing and decide I'm going to go dirt? Uh, it was uh, it was probably right around 18, 19 years old, right around 20. I remember I moved to Atlanta uh, my senior year in high school to uh, to go down there to, to work on my asphalt car. And, uh, I mean, that was the direction I wanted to go. I didn't like dirt cars. I had Dirty. Know, yeah, I had all my uh, friends up, up around the house. You know, they'd go to dirt races, go to East Bay, things like that. I'm like, I don't want to go mess with them dirt cars. I want to I go cup racing one day. So yeah, that, was the, that was the direction that I was going. I raced legend cars with David Reagan, Reed Sorensen, um, several other guys. Uh, Kyle Bush, me and him's talked about racing each other out in Vegas before. But wow. um, you know, that was that was the direction I wanted to go and where I thought I was headed. But um, at that times where it was really starting to turn over and you had to have a big checkbook to get there. And we just uh, never did get that big break. And uh, so my, my grandpa had a couple of dirt cars and he had, he had two and had one driver. So when I, when I decided to come back, he said I could drive one of his for a little bit. And uh, that's where it all started back on dirt. That's awesome. And I want to pause for a minute because, you know, we've always had, and rightfully so, we've always had dirt fans hate on NASCAR. And, and it really was because NASCAR raised the prices that, they demanded that instead of buying one ticket to Sunday, you had to buy five, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And the fans felt like, you know, NASCAR abandoned all the dirt people. So I think we're bridging that gap back now with, yeah, with right. the help of, you know, Kyle Larson and yourself. So recently you ran the NASCAR cup race, the NASCAR truck race at Bristol. I've already asked you this question when you came on NASCAR race day, our big show at Bristol, but I want to ask it to you in front of this audience. Is NASCAR, was it always a dream of yours? Do, do you have desire? Did you want to be NASCAR? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if, uh, I, especially back then, I thought if you was going to make a living racing, that's where you, you wanted to be is where you had to be. And uh, that's, that's where I wanted to be, but it, it just didn't work out. But, you know, 25 years later, after I changed directions, uh, I ended up back there for, for a special event at, at Dirt on Bristol. So it, it was pretty cool. It come full circle. Yeah. And you did good. You ran really good, both cars. And, and there's so much more I want to get to. So now let's veer Kenny conversation, totally dirt racing, hardcore dirt racing. You know, I'm a dirt racer. So we're going to go into the, all the dirt racing lingo. Let's relax and, and, and kind of let, let's go at it. Um, so I want to talk about Kevin Rumley in the six car. Uh, and sometimes I'm a smart ass to get my point across. <laughs> I can handle it. Right. So all this, you know, right front down, left rear up. You and Kevin started that. So now everybody else, they just following you. Uh, in my opinion, now, now interrupt me. In my opinion, you were the first one to feel in that chassis, right front down, left rear up, with what was called the device. Now we know that the device raised the left rear up, right fronts down, and you created all this side force. Uh, those cars you're running, the dirt super late models, I always tease that they're they're four by eight sheet of plywoods. <laughs> And, and and you and you and Kevin were the first one to catch on to this big time aerodynamics. Did I say that right? Um, we was trending that way a little bit, but I think we just made a major step and um, something Kevin dreamed up, you know, over several weeks or months or whatever, and uh, it it took him like many. Uh, times to, to get it even close to going on the car. We we were supposed to go test the start of 15, 2015 season five or six times. We never made it because we never – Kevin never could get this thing 
to go on the car like he wanted to. We actually <laughs> on the great. Like, a, like a mad scientist. Oh, it, it was crazy. There was bolts and nuts and spacers. Our, it looked like a trash dump around our car. <laughs> it crazy. It was all evolved around the left rear. We, we had this whole thing done for a week or two, except for the left rear. And uh, he tried many uh, different ways to do it. And finally, he got it where he wanted it. And then I, I was always like the cleanup guy. Like Kevin could come up with the big ideas, but the small stuff, like it would it would uh, bottom out or the bolt needed to be shorter or it would bind up or do something. So I had to come in and kind of help him clean up everything, shorten the bolts up, get all the stuff right. And uh, so we finally got to leave like the day before we were supposed to go to um, Brunswick. And it, it's, it all started in the left rear, actually on the axle tube. And then as he advanced it and figured out what he was doing, we moved it to the frame. Isn't that fantastic? You know, we all know Kevin's weird. He, even Jacqueline, his wife's, you know, he, he's in his <laughs> own world. But isn't it true, you know, people like uh, uh, Thomas, you know, Graham Bell, you know, Alexander Graham Bell, uh, you know, these brilliant people are, they're not in our world. Was, was he, was he difficult to work with because he's so different? He can be for sure, just because he can speak on a totally different level than I can. And his brain works different than ours. And that's right. the reason he is, uh, he is so smart, but you know, we, we figured out how to communicate with one another. You know, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, just country, fly, just like level, like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we figured out how to communicate and I'd have to bring him down a notch or two where I could understand what he was talking about. And then I was trying to be smarter and where he could understand what I was talking about. But um, after, you know, a couple of years together there, we, we got it figured out. We, we knew what each other was talking about. Man, you guys just won everything there was. And then, you know, uh, we, we watched it all end. Uh, all, you know, all good things come to an end. But following back up on that a little bit more, the, the, the device did, did the device it held it, it pushed that left rear up is that is that right yes and no i don't it, it's still like mind-boggling because i don't still don't know what it exactly does and i'm not sure that kevin does but it was almost two left rear suspensions in one so we normally have the the four link suspension that we have now but it was also a suspension it, it was pretty much the four link bolted on this suspension. So it was two dampening devices yeah. um, in one. So we, we would get droop one way and then we would get droop from another way. So there was never any, anything solid on the left rear. So it, it was always in motion. Yeah. He, you know, I, I went, I went to that shop and I, I was pretty shocked just kind of like a old, you know, army building. And at the time I showed up, he had the six car pushed out underneath a shed, but he had that device and he showed it to me and I thought, I'll be damned. There it is. That, that thing needs to go into Smithsonian Institute. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> now, awesome. That, now, would you, would you say, I think what I'm trying to get out of you, did the device change the direction, the trajectory of super late model dirt racing? I think did so. I, I, I think it really did. Even though, like it, it opened our eyes to so many different things that we needed to do. So once we figured out we needed to, what that did, it essentially just got the spoiler up in the air fund. So then Left once we got that out, yep. So then we could get the right front down. So we started traveling more in the right front and we figured out as soon as we could get the deck up higher, get the spoiler up in the air, we would go faster. So then after they eliminated, you know, anything moving on the frame or the birdcage, so then we started walk, working with shocks and springs and other things to be able to to squat the car in the left rear and raise it up on the right front to get through tech. And then it, it they almost looked like they were a tree fell across them, broken half because we could run the deck up so high um, there for the first year or so once we figured it out. But yeah, it definitely um, put the sport in in that trajectory for sure. Yeah, I I feel like now this is me saying this. I'm bragging on you. This is a compliment. I feel like. You, along with Kevin, you changed dirt super late model racing forever. And then you, you with Lance, uh, shocked the racing world with how much money can be won if you get it together and, and, and 
run like you have at Eldora. So I, there, there's no doubt in my mind you're going to be etched in history because when I see these dirt late models now, I know what you just confirmed. Uh, and I hope all the dirt late model guys are listening, even the kids. It was you and Rumley that made us all very aware how important aerodynamics are. And uh, I, ju I just think that's awesome. So, all right, we, we got about seven pieces here. And I, I want, one thing I want to go into that I think is awesome. So my brother Rusty and, and uh, Larry Phillips and Mark Martin, we raced in uh, Pocola, Oklahoma, Fort Smith, Arkansas. We raced there every Saturday night and uh, met a guy named Deathridge. Well, he had a kid named Greg and uh, but Greg Deathridge and you got together. Uh, now, I need these are 200s and, and I need them to read or else I start hurting. Now, you shocked the racing world. Everybody stayed quiet for a little bit. And then when you look at like somebody like a Donnie Shots, Donnie Shots has won it all uh, forever with glasses. You and Greg Deathridge got together, is this right? And, and you started wearing glasses. And I know you were winning before, but now you're winning more. Tell me about these glasses because it also played into Superman. You kind of look like Clark Kent now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, honestly, you know, I kind of remember back uh, when I was younger and I was racing legend cars. Uh, my vision wasn't that great. And uh, I started wearing glasses and contacts and instantly, like, got mm -hmm. better. And then um, I was having problems with the glasses fogging up and my contacts uh, falling out, getting air in them. And so I went and had laces. So you've hurt. always wore contacts? Uh, well, I started out, that was probably when I was uh, 14, 15. And then when I turned 17, I had LASIK surgery done. And it was like a completely different world then. I didn't have to worry about my glasses fogging up and uh, when I was racing. So, like, I instantly started winning a lot more back then. And so, over time, that was oh, 20 years ago, you know, now. So, my... Well, did you feel like you started winning because you could see better? Absolutely. absolutely. I'll be damned. Breaking news. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, just after a while, you know, your eyesight gets worse. And I, could, I noticed at night... Um, even just driving down the highway, I'd see huge halos around lights, glare really, really bad. And um, so I just went to uh, uh, the eye doctor and like my, I can still see 2020 fine. But when I put the glasses on and the ones that Greg got me, um, they're a low glare that helps with that. I, everything's just HD. Like before I, I could see a wrench on the racetrack. Now I can tell you if it's a three quarter, 11 sixteenths. You know, so not, not that good, but I'm just saying, um, yeah, I, it. I could just see, uh, see stuff on the track, how it changes so much more. You go to different places all, all across the country and the dirt's a different color. Well, if you race in the South all the time, you know that it starts out red and it goes to light red, then it goes black. Then the rubber goes back to red. Well, in the Midwest, it don't really do that. It's black when you start. And so it's hard to see the traction spots and when, uh, it gets slick, and when the rubber starts coming back again, so it just uh, the better you can see, you know, uh, the better you are. So th this makes me laugh because when I started dirt racing, I told Kenny Schrader, I said, "Kenny, I want you to teach me how to race dirt." Now, mind you, my dad, my brother Mike, Rusty, they're all really good on dirt, and but I just never did it. I, I got kind of lucky being the third kid because I went straight to asphalt, but. I asked Schrader one time, I said, how, how do you know when to slow up on dirt? He said, when you get on the track, lift your visor up and look at the dirt. <laughs> so <laughs> in a comical way, you know, I'm, I'm nothing like you, but I've won 108 dirt races in modifieds. And it, it is so true, right? I mean, you got to study that dirt while you're racing. You're like half farmer. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. Like I could, after I go back and watch the video and you like, you can see the line so easily, or if you're up in the grandstands, you can see the line so easily, but when you're out there right next to it, like it changes and you don't even know it um, at, at, at some aspect, but 
like I said, just the better you can see, the better you're going to be. The better you can see the lane change before the next guy. If you can, if you can, you know, get two or three uh, spots somewhere just because they hadn't seen the lane change yet. Well, then you know, that's two or three spots you're ahead. Do you think? Uh, okay, so we know that you just got done winning Eldora, and uh, you started six. You passed everybody. You got to the rubber before them. Two two part question. Do you think people like you, Michael McDowell, or not Dale McDowell, excuse me, do you feel like you Southerners when you grow up on the red clay? And Brandon Overton said this when he when he won. He said, uh, we race in the rubber down south. Do you feel like you're pretty good at you got to the rubber quick on Saturday night after you passed Pierce? Do you think you got something going on there? You think you're good at getting a rubber quick? I think I can. I'm good at seeing it and and knowing when it's possibly coming. You don't never, but there's nobody never knows exactly when it's going to come. But you just start seeing the change of the of the dirt. It changes colors, and it when you go across it, you know you you feel it in your ass. You can kind of you know feel how much grip you got versus the rest of the racetrack. So. And just once you get in the rubber and it does rubber, um, it's almost a little bit like asphalt racing to conserve your, your tires. You got to work on the right front some to work on the right rear. You don't want to burn your stuff up. So you, you have to manage your tires going back and forth. But these, these cars ain't really made just to, to turn left all the time. So it's just many laps down here and uh, some shitty racetracks in the South that does rubber up. Bad soil down there. We know that, but okay. So, I want to move on to running through the middle of the racetrack. So this is what I call dirt racing talk. We, you know, when we're in the pits, we got all the lingo and we know what it means. But we all know that big, big features, A-mains, we call them, they're, they're one in the dry. We know that. Uh, when, when I look at uh, your history, I see that – Jonathan, you're not old. You're 39. But I notice you don't ever knock the quarter panel off, but you run high. But I notice you go fast still through the middle of the racetrack. Uh, when, when Pierce or, you know, Shepard, uh, you know, our, you know, we, I can't blame it on them because they grew up in these bull rings. And, and sometimes that's a fast way. So they grew up up here. You grew up down there. This, this technique that you have, you still keep an enormous amount of speed running through the middle of the racetrack. Is that a Southern thing? Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, our dirt's not very good. It doesn't compact together. We may build a cushion down here every now and then, but very, not, not very often at all. So we have (laughs) learned to keep our momentum up, keep our speed up. And uh, just because there's nothing to lean against. Every now and then, well, we can slow down and run around the bottom, catch a little traction ring. But normally our dirt, it's so wet that it's almost slimy when it is wet. So the middle of the racetrack is the best part. So that's how we've learned to race. And, you know, we've tried to adapt uh, running around the cushion or, you know, catching the brown on the bottom, running around the hub. But um, I'm not very good at either one of them. I, I'm better at running a cushion than I am trying to <clears throat> run around the hub, but it's just, just the way I was uh, brought up, the way I learned, and uh, just to apply that. And, and it does help, you know, and it comes with age too. When I was younger and 15 and 16, I, I was looking for a cushion to to get on, but I've learned. That's that, how to fix in your car, didn't you? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah you, you don't have to have a great handling car to run around the cushion, but you have to know how to adjust your car to run the cushion or run around the bottom or run in the middle. So you, you can't have a perfect car in all three scenarios. So we just try to set up for the long distance and try to keep the panels on it straight. Cause we all know how aero dependent these cars are mm-hmm. now. And uh, once you knock that spoiler off at some of the places, you know, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. So I, I just want to throw you uh, some people say that I have road rose colored glasses that, I've heard lately, Kenny, you're too nice, but another compliment I want to throw you, uh, and it's on one of my notes here. Scott Bloomquist, Billy Moyer, and you have always ran through the middle of the racetrack. 
It's because when the tracks get dry, that's where the money's at. So good, good on you, Jonathan, because, uh, you know, if you're going to run a hundred lap race, it's hard to run it on the wall. Uh, eventually it's going to bust your ass and knock that spoiler off. So I think you got it going on there and I admire that. Um, okay. So now it's showtime. This one is, uh, all the good stuff. And this is what all the dirt racers have, 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 have chosen to listen to the Kenny conversation with, with Jonathan Davenport. So we don't have to belabor the point, but let me see. One, two, three, four, five. Five controversial questions. Not controversial, just fun. All right. Okay. What is your opinion on the state? Now, now I've got I've got other things in here, so you don't got to. I'm, I'm just talking about your opinion on the state of dirt late models. You know, the form of the car, the tracks you go to. What is your opinion on the state of dirt late models right now in America? I think it's really good. It's uh, trajectory is definitely going straight up. The only thing holding us back right now is facilities, I believe. There's a mm -hmm. few facilities that are really nice, but for the most part of them, the ones we go, the bathrooms are terrible. The concession stands are terrible. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the pits, the, the grandstands are falling in, but people are working on it. Uh, they're, they're getting more money generated into a sport, into uh, the promoters are putting back in the track. So um, I, I think our quality as far as show is really good right now. Um, obviously, the streaming has brought in more <clears throat> viewers. And uh, with, like you said before, uh, Kyle Larson going back and forth from, from NASCAR over back to the dirt has brought us more fans also. Yeah, I, I want to add there that, you know, I, I tell people this. I say, look, we love dirt racing. It doesn't mean you have to dumb yourself down. You know, you've won a million dollars. I mean, you know, us dirt racers, we shave, we get in the shower. Uh, you don't have to dumb yourself down. We can fix these racetracks up to where potential people might want to come because my wife, she's an asphalt girl, but she's like, I am not going to those nasty ass porta potties. That's right. You walk in there and it's just a disaster, you know, and you want to bring a sponsor and you're like, do you have any anywhere that people, normal people can go? So I want to let you know that I agree with that. Me and you, everybody else, nobody's better than anybody, but you're right. I think some people uh, dumb their self down. And I think, listen, my brother Rusty taught me paint don't cost anything. Brooms, you know, uh, clean your racetrack up and make it safer. These guardrails are, are dangerous. Uh, just wanted to add that on there. Okay. So big controversy, big story in the garage area. Uh, they getting rid of the sticks uh, at some, some series. They get getting rid of the sticks. So, so it all happened flow night at Fairbury. Uh, you know, we watched Shepard getting ready to blow by uh, Pierce and Pierce changed lanes. We know Bob Pierce is the best at sticks. It was that night. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, instead of being side by side, Bobby does a hell of a job with Bobby. Gets up there, he grabs the lane, and people are like, damn it. So what's your opinion on getting rid of signal sticks? I think it's totally fine. Um, I've seen a lot of good races ruined by signal sticks, and it's helped me. In some cases, and it's hurt me in some cases. You know, I, I've been the guy in second coming in, in a different lane, <clears throat> and then, you know, the, the leader moved up in my lane, and I've also done it, you know, just vice versa. But <clears throat> we did, we got to find a way to uh, police everything as far as Apple Watches or lights in a car. There, there's a lot of stuff that, that can go on that, you know, drivers can get signals, two-way radios, or not two-way radios, or two – single way radios where you can, you know, you got a receiver in one ear and somebody talking to you in the other ear in the stands. Mm. So there's always some things going on, but if, if we can find a, a way to police all that, make it a level playing field, that's great. I mean, I always thought it looked dumb on our sport, everybody around the track trying to land, land airplanes anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> I never thought about that way. Come on, bring it in. Bring it. Exactly. So, so uh, 
by them getting rid of the sticks, the Apple watches, the things like that. Uh, now, we, we, listen, you and I are not idiots. I, I build, you know, listen, I build my own race cars and you have too. So nobody going to tell us anything. They might give us an ideal, but so they get rid of the sticks. But now over here in this ear, they're going to tell you how to change lanes you know, they're going to, hey, move high, you know, because they can't see my little gloves here. You know, they're, they're allowing gloves, yeah. you know, but you can only do like that. You know, my, my buddy Bob Pierce, I love him to death. His sticks, I think we're getting to be six feet tall. But <laughs> <laughs> I love Bob and I'm going to have him on here. But so the Apple Watches, it wasn't so much about traction control, which they tech the cars. They're, they're talking to the drivers. Telling them when to change lanes. Oh yeah, I mean you can you can get a text message on your watch and look at it, or if it if it vibrates or something, you know you need to change. And there, there's all kinds of different things. Back in 2012, I used to have my phone in the car with me, and I could text under caution. You know, that's back before anybody. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we've all done it, but um, there's got to be a way to tech it all, and uh, it'll definitely. Uh, make some finishes better than what they have been. My, uh, my wife, Kim is, is, is Catholic and I'm a Lutheran. So we went to pre Cana class, you know, make sure we're compatible. And father John said, young man, what are you going to do for a living? And I said, I'm going to be a race car driver. And he says, be careful. Competition will kill you. So the <laughs> things that people come up with, it's like, wow. <laughs> no doubt competition right yeah you got you know all right so we got three more to go this this droop rule now we we know if we go back into this conversation we know the sport the higher we get the left rear spoiler and that was created by you and kevin rumley we know the higher we get the spoiler more downforce on the rear now we, we got a droop rule because we feel like people get an advantage if they go a couple inches higher What's your opinion on the on the droop rule? I see what they're trying to do with it. They just haven't figured out a way to check it that is properly. Properly. Um, I've seen it several times. Like you can you can jack the car up, you can check it, you can roll it five feet forward, jack it up again, and it'll check half inch, three quarters of an inch different. So they got to be some kind of process, uh, whether it's putting a, a some kind of standard tether, some kind of standard measurement from the bumper to the spoiler for each car um, before the race or after the race. I don't, I don't know what it can be. Obviously, once somebody does that, then, you know, like you said, competition will kill you. We're going to figure out a way to manipulate that where it moves after they take it um, right. or before. So I really don't know. I mean, it's a double-edged sword both ways. So I, I don't, Personally, I don't know the best way to fix it. Uh, I see what they're trying to do. They're just trying to level the playing field. But if they make it where it's ridiculously high, then nobody gets there anyway. And, the, and your, you know, your local guy say, oh, hell, I can run my spoiler up three inches to be like these guys. Well, then what's the difference? But if, if everybody's trying to lower their spoiler or have to lower their spoiler, and some of these, like our big teams that we work all the time on this stuff, figure out how to get two inches higher. Well, then the local guy don't have a chance. Right. I agree with everything you said. I'll just leave it at that because I, you know, there, there, there's, there's always an old saying, okay, smart ass, you figure it out. You know? Yeah. So I, I like how he said that because we know it's just not right, but I don't really have a good idea to fix it either. Uh, but we know these cars flex. We got under rails, over rails, you know, we know if you run a spool, you go back and the car does this and the tires are popping and, you're, you know, you're jacking the rear up and this guy's got more rebound on his right front shock. Or I get it. I'm with you. Um, okay, let's move on. We, we're almost done. Not that we're in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did Kenny conversation with Tony Stewart and he had such a good time. He goes, hey, I'm good. No <laughs> need to hurry. So, yeah. Okay. Last year, uh, they come out with the, the one tire rule, okay? So you and I know, and, and sometimes the reason I preface these questions is because people don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. So you and I know that if we 
went here and we went there, we had 30 different tires. Uh, and so I, I like the idea that, okay, if Jonathan Davenport and his team want to run down south, they can come up to Midwest and they don't have to buy a different brand, a different compound tire. What is your opinion on the new tire rule where we only got like three compounds or so? Um, I think it's excellent. I mean, uh, we, we can leave and go from Florida to New, New Mexico and we can race on the same tires. Um, there's a, a couple of stipulations in there. I wish they was a little different as far as how each series, um, you know, they, they limit you on a 30 or they limit you on a, or on one tire or on two right rears or on two different left rears. As long as they, as long as they make it and it's that one, two, three, or four, you should be able to run it anytime. That way, you know, you don't have to worry about, oh, crap, I, I didn't bring these tires because one series wasn't running those this weekend. But um, all in all, I think it's great. It's better than having, you know, like you said, 30 different compounds in the trailer. Um, we're not running as good this year, so it's easy to blame the tires. Um, it's the reason we're not, but uh, that's just an easy out. Yeah, I thought you was running good. I, get, I guess you're not running up to par, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think we are. I, I feel like we've struggled most of the year, but I feel like the tires have been a little bit different, but I've been talking to Hoosier and they're telling me they're not. So, um, you know, like I said, that was just an easy excuse for us, but we'll go back to work and try to figure it out. But as far as all in all, if they're going to make this the tire rule, I just wish they would have took it one step further and actually made the tire so we didn't have to groove and sop them. And right. that would save, oh. you know, that they, they charge the race teams more for the tires. If they would have fixed them so we didn't have to groove and sop them, yes. we wouldn't have to have an extra tire guy all the time. So that would have offset the cost of us having to pay more for the tires. I want to call an audible here. That's not on my list. Uh, so, as you know, I do everything myself because I'm too cheap to hire anybody. And I just run these old mods now. But – it takes me all day long, you know, grind a tire, groove it, maybe, maybe sometimes sipe it. Uh, and then when I watched you guys go the speed weeks, you got your truck and trailer, you, you know, you got a big old hauler and then you got another truck and trailer carrying your tires and your wheels. And by the way, you got a kid, you're paying 40, 50 grand a year to prepare your tires. Jonathan, are you, are y'all, I mean, I like what you just said. Can so here's my question: Can our tire makers make a tire ready to bolt on the damn car? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, it probably helped to grind it, but I, I think they can build a tire um, that will go in all conditions. I really do. It, it wears my ass out. I mean, that's that's my whole jam is tires, you know, and and I get and I do my maintenance and all that. So. My friend, listen, look at you. You've done it all. You, you really have. And uh, you're only 39. Uh, so now I made everybody wait for the most important question. I want you to smile. And, and <laughs> this is tongue in cheek. We're having a good time. It, it, it's fun in dirt racing. Who's the best, Billy Moyer or Scott Bloomquist? Scott Bloomquist. I love Billy Moore. I'm going to tell you why I agree with you. Because Bloomquist built his own race cars. Tell me why you think Bloomquist is the best. He won more of the bigger races consistently. Wow, just that, just that simple. And here I was trying to make it complicated. I, you know, Billy Moore is incredible. Great race car driver. But I think the nod does go to the bloomer just because he bends the damn tubing. I, I don't know if he's got a welder, but I mean, am I right? Did did Bloomer build his own race cars? Oh yeah, he, he built his own cars a lot. He he's very he's very good at at knowing all about his car too. And and Billy is too, which I mean there, there's advantage and disadvantage and all that. I used to think, you know, I always focused on Eldora. I always thought Scott had an advantage there because he had been there so many times in the same car. You know, over and over, he, he had a, a notebook, you know, a, as thick as a Bible, you know, for all the notes from Eldora. And like if you go from Billy, you know, he's been there so many different times and so many different cars, but yet still won. So 
um, you, you know, it's a disadvantage, but yet it, it is an advantage of uh, being there so many times in the same car. But Scott was really good on building cars. Uh, Billy knows a lot about building cars also because he's been in so many different ones. He knows what he likes off of each one of them. So um, you can go back and forth. We can debate this all day, but I, I think Scott's just, just a little bit ahead of Billy. Yeah, well, I, th- th- I think they're both pretty equal. I really do. I, I admire them both equally. But I had to ask you that for fun because, you know, when, when we get ready to post Kenny conversation, it's going to be tune in to see who Jonathan Davenport thinks is the best, you know. <laughs> but That's listen, I, you know, I've, uh, you know, we were, we, were at the, um, we were at the Dome and you was at the bar. And, and I came and joined you at the bar and it was early. And I said something to you about me and you said, Oh, Herman, you just doing this for fun now. And uh, I remember you saying that. And um, you know, you're right. Uh, I won nine NASCAR Xfinity races. Uh, I, I had a wonderful NASCAR career. I, you know, I still go to my grave wishing that uh, I was Jeff Gordon. And I told Jeff that, and he said, listen, so did everybody else. But I found dirt racing a passion. And I started in started in the dirt super late models. We won the prelude to the dream. We went down to Cleveland. We won against Ronnie Johnson. And I decided to quit racing dirt super late models because it was costing me $5,000 a race. Uh, you know, we won the prelude. And um, Rayburn gave me a car to use that year. And Petrov put a motor in it. We ran really good. But I looked myself in the mirror and I said, I'm 46 years old. And uh, I just want you to know that I admire you. Uh, When you told me that day, you said, Herman, you're not doing this. You're right. I made my money in asphalt. But I admire what you do. You're big time. You're, You're very good at your discipline. And the reason I run dirt racing is this because AJ Foyt and Mario Andretti, they, they'd win the Indy 500 and they'd go one hour down the road to Terre Haute and they put them old open face helmets off and they'd run Terre Haute and cheat death. So I wanted to be more worldly. Uh, you're worldly. You ran asphalt, you run dirt, you're a racer. And so from one racer to another, uh, Jonathan, congratulations. I, I know you're not done. I get all that. Don't you don't got to throw the disclaimer in there. <laughs> you're only 39. You, you, you know you're going to go to 60. And uh, thank you, thank you so much for being on the Kenny conversation. I definitely appreciate it, Kenny. Thanks for all that you've done for for our for our sport and for racing in general, all across the board. You've uh, you you've opened a lot of eyes and brought us a lot more fans, also. So. Uh, you're wild and crazy, and we love it. Well, I think the reason we started Kenny Conversation is because I tell people there, there's three of me, and this is the serious side. And uh, then then I got to sell product. I got to run my mouth so I can make money, you know. So uh, that part started coming out, and then a lot of it's just natural. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody will listen. Uh, remember, we're in podcast form. You can find this on Spotify and iTunes. And remember the Kenny Wallace shows over there. And that's the crazy guy. And that's where we, we talk about the, the daredevil stuff. Is Wallace going to say that? But right here is what's become uh, really renowned. Kenny conversation has really opened up a lot of eyes. And we're going to continue to interview the best. Once again, I remind you, we've had Tony Stewart, Mark Martin, Harvick, And now, the very best in dirt racing, Jonathan Davenport. So until then, we'll see you next time.